This is a When Walls Can Talk network podcast. For those who find themselves with an existential dread at the thought of dolls, eerie, soulless, blank eyes staring back at you from an empty human frame, or the irrational fear that you might somehow watch them move as you get closer, I can guarantee you that this one will rock your world, and will likely cause a significant amount of nightmares. Sorry, not sorry. It's also one of the most fascinating and highly requested topics that I've ever looked into, For years, I've tried to gather my thoughts on what happened here, and what might be the cause of this highly intense haunted presence. But I'll let you put your own thoughts together before I share my own. Hey everybody, it's Jeremy Haig, your host at When Walls Can Talk, the podcast, and today we are back for Season 3, Episode 2. Today we are leaving the continental United States once again and exploring a Mexican haunting that is equal parts unimaginable real-life horror and long-established legend. But if you ask me, I believe that there is some extreme validity to what is reported here. Before we begin, we have to start by understanding where this story comes from and the area in which it is believed to have occurred. The 13th largest country by area, and the 10th largest by population, with a rich, complicated and mysterious history that has intrigued and baffled historians and researchers for decades. Mexico is formulated as a federation of 31 states, with Mexico City itself a population of over 21 million people as the capital and not attached to any of the country's states, similar to how Washington, D.C. functions as its own separate geographical and political entity in the United States. For comparison, only about 4 million people live in Los Angeles. That's over five times as many. Mexico City covers 560 square miles, further divided into 16 boroughs, which each contain individual neighborhoods, or colonias. One of these individual neighborhoods is called Hochimilco, sometimes referenced as the Venice of Mexico. This is where our story takes place. The base of Mexico's capital city, Mexico City, was constructed on top of the crumbled ruins of the fabled floating city of the Aztecs called Tenochtitlan. The central plaza was originally constructed in the center of a large lake, connected by canals where streets run today. Later on, the Spanish conquistadors proceeded to drain the lake with an elaborate system of pumps and pipes, sending the water east and back into the Gulf of Mexico. In the centuries that followed, the people of Mexico have been forced to continue and expand this pumping operation in order to keep Mexico City dry. In the southern end of Mexico City, where Xochimilco can be found, remnants of the ancient Aztec canals still exist today, resulting in numerous floating islands known as the Floating Gardens of Xochimilco and designated as a World Heritage Site. The Aztecs, formerly a nomadic people, were wandering the lands of Mexico searching for a place to call home. 
Legend says that if you were to spot an eagle on top of a cactus with a serpent in its hand, that was an omen from the gods themselves of where to build. The Aztec people spied this same omen in the area that would become Tenochtitlan. However, the area was a wet and wild bog, requiring them to push the limitations of technological discovery in order to settle the land. Stacking reeds, mud, and logs, and with an elaborate stilting system, especially for the 1300s, the Aztec built countless floating platforms upon which they would build the buildings that became their city. These islands, known as chinapas, were locked in place by the roots of trees and bushes that lined their edges like anchors. Even in present times, farmers still use these floating islands to cultivate crops and navigate through the narrow canals that still remain in flat-bottom boats, like gondolas, called chalupa, or drajineras. With an extremely moderate climate, the Chinapa farmers of Mexico City are able to plant up to five times a year with extremely fertile harvests and sustain their plants with the natural hydrocultivation that Chinapas provide. Historians suggest that with this ancient development, the highly advanced Aztecs were able to sustain a population of over one million people. Hochimilco stands as a memory and the ancient echoes of a long-lost civilization, allowing us a quick glimpse into what life was like during the Aztec Empire. The word Hochimilco stems from the language of Nahuatl and means flower field, painting a picture of what it must have been like to look out over the Chinapas and see a wild expanse of flowers and plants resting over the calm waters of the canals. While many are still being used for farming and homes, one of these chinapas is not so inviting, and appears immediately to the naive observer to be wildly different from all the rest around it. Tucked away from the rest down a narrow canal, one chinapas sits in eerily quiet, inexplicable shadow, like a darkness resting over the entire floating structure. As you approach the chinapa, your eyes are caught by the strangest sight of all. Instead of flowering plants and tall stalks of corn swaying in the warm wind, your eyes land upon a single baby doll, wildly out of place against the natural world surrounding you. It hangs from a creaking branch with a rope around its neck like a noose. As the doll slowly spins to face you as you approach, its glassy eyes unblinking and unfeeling, yet somehow alive and aware of your presence, you notice that its small frame is missing an arm. As you glide beneath the off-putting sight, you begin to notice that, upon the floating chinapas, hanging from every fence, tree and rotting structure hang hundreds upon hundreds of rotting, weather-ravaged dolls, many disfigured, missing limbs or heads, and all staring out at you from their motionless frames. You have stumbled upon La Isla de las Muñecas, the island of the dolls.
throughout the ages, man has repeated the same earnest saying, more of a question really, or perhaps even a plea, if these walls could talk. But what if they do, and always have? Perhaps their stories, memories, and messages are all around us, if only we would take the moment to listen. On this podcast, we reinvestigate legends and tales of the past and allow the echoes of their lessons to live on once again, informing us, educating us, and sharing new and unique insight into the inner workings of the paranormal and spiritual world. Will you dare to listen? This is When Walls Can Talk, the podcast. Now, as with any similar haunting, legends have blurred fact from fiction and allowed countless different versions of the story of the Island of the Dolls to be published, making it near impossible to know exactly what truly happened there. But let me tell you the various stories and theories as to who or what might be causing this decades-old paranormal horror story. And in the end, we can pick through those theories together and see if we can't find some explanations. Oh yes, I forgot to mention, this famous Chinapas is wildly haunted. Our story begins with a man named Don Julian Santana Barrera. By all accounts, his childhood was loving, surrounded by a large family. Most tales of Don Julian's background say that he was happily married with a young baby boy. But, one day, for reasons we cannot explain, he left without saying a word. His reasons for doing so are hazy at best, but as soon became clear, Santana Barrera was not necessarily of sound mind. Some say that he had caught his wife cheating and lost his mind. Some say his departure was due to being rejected by a lover he had been pursuing. Yet others say that he simply was done with life in the city and valued his quiet and solitude more than his own family. However, the facts remain that for whatever reason, Don Julian abandoned Hochimilco and moved to one of the Chinapas sometime in the late 1950s. As these chinapas were only accessible by boat, he figured this would allow him to live out the rest of his days alone and unbothered. At first, everything was going exactly the way he'd hoped, rising with the sun and enjoying life in his modest one-room cabin. Hut seems more relevant. But one day, all of that changed. One morning, a terrible scream broke the contented silence of his solitary life. The indescribable shrieking seemed to be coming closer and closer to the shore of his chinapas, so Don Julian put down the spade in his garden where he had been tending to his plants and hurried to the water's edge. As he came closer, his worst fear was realized. Thrashing about in the soft ripples of the canal was a young girl. Her white lace dress soaked and heavy from the water, and her wet hair plastered about her face under a light-colored straw hat. She struggled against the dark water, which was hungry to pull her under, gulping in huge amounts of water and air in a desperate attempt to rescue herself. 
In some versions of the story, Don Julian's horror at the scene before him roots him on the spot as he watches the young girl take her last breaths and slip beneath the surface of the water forever. Yet in other versions, his bravery shows itself in full force as he leaps into the murky depths to save her. Dragging her to shore, he attempted to resuscitate her, but in either story, the ending remains the same. It is too late. The girl was gone. Don Julian's shame and agony over her sudden death was inconsolable. He rocked the poor, helpless, and lifeless body of this unknown girl back and forth. Her lips were blue and cold, and her wide eyes were blue and glassy, just like that of a new doll. Soon the authorities came and collected her lifeless body, and her grief-stricken parents were told of the tragedy that befell her before laying the body to rest. It was believed that the victim was either a resident of or visiting a friend on one of the local chinapas just up the canal, but for whatever reason, she found herself plunged into its murky current and pulled downstream. While the effects of this terrible accident rocked all the citizens in the area of Ochimilco, Don Julian's agony, having witnessed the moment for himself, was severe. At night, when he slept, he was plagued with nightmares of screaming children, shouting and clawing for his help out of the darkness. Sir, won't you rescue me? Why won't you rescue me? They would cry out. As their screams echoed through his mind, he would watch as their eyes would roll back in their heads and eventually wake himself up wailing and crying in a cold sweat. Only days later, attempting to return to his usual life upon the Chinapas, something caught his eye as he passed the shoreline where the unfortunate young girl had succumbed to the water. A waterlogged baby doll was washing back and forth along the edge of the canal, rocking in the gentle surf. The doll, coated in mud and debris, was wearing a white lace dress and a straw hat. As he stared down into the doll's unseeing eyes, a voice once again echoed through his mind. Sir, why didn't you save me? Taking the doll in his arms, he once again rocked the small baby doll's form back and forth, racked with guilt and sadness. If only he'd moved faster and been able to save the child's life, perhaps there's more he could have done. But just as soon as his tears arrived, he would find himself overcome with frustration. She'd been struggling in the water for who knows how long, so how could he have known or been able to change the outcome? In a sudden fit of rage, he hurled the doll downstream where it landed in the center of the canal with a splash. Getting up from the wet sand, he wiped away his angry tears and returned to his work. That night, he experienced the darkest and most visceral of his nightmares so far. The drowned girl appeared before him in a dream, demanding to know why he had thrown away her doll so carelessly, while slowly inching closer and closer. In terror, he awoke to the sound of his own shouts, relieved to discover it was just a dream. But when he opened his eyes, his relief turned to horror once again, as the girl's blue, lifeless face appeared hovering above him, her waterlogged, rotting nose only inches away from his own. As her mouth opened in a smile, canal water poured from her mouth onto his face. 
Immediately, he fell from his bed to the floor, but by the time he scrambled to his feet again, the apparition was gone. The next morning, he reasoned to himself as he returned to his work that his experience was nothing more than a dream within a dream. Certainly, there was no way that the drowned girl had truly visited him. As he continued muttering to himself and making his way about the island, something once again caught his eye along the waterline. It was impossible. There was no way, and yet there it was. The doll was back, insistently bobbing against the mud and bushes along his small chinapas. He swore as he approached the doll that its head slowly turned to look at him, and once again that voice filled his head. Why didn't you save me? Somehow, immediately, Don Julian knew what he had to do. Clearly, until the spirit of the drowned child was appeased, he would never find any peace on the small area of land he had made his home on. Taking the doll to one of the side walls of his house, and vowing aloud to never attempt to destroy it, he mounted it as an offering. For the first time in weeks, he experienced a nightmare-free sleep. For several days, everything was quiet and peaceful and life seemed to return to normal. One of the following evenings, Don Julian decided to build a small bonfire beside his cabin, where he cooked for himself and then wrapped up in a blanket to enjoy the moonlit evening. The stillness was pierced by a loud splash. Peering over his fire at the water, he watched as a dark figure began to slowly rise from the shimmering water of the canal shattering the reflection of the moon with slow ripples. The misty apparition of the drowned girl once again stared at him with black eyes, water pouring from her dress and hair in silvery ribbons. She floated inches above the water from the middle of the canal. "'Will you come play with me, mister?' the ghost eventually asked after what seemed like hours of staring at each other in a pregnant silence." The voice broke his trance, and he ran into his home and locked the door. As the sun rose the next morning, Don Julian knew immediately what he needed to do. Abandoning his chinapas for the first time in years, he ventured out of Hochimilco and into Mexico City. Searching throughout the city, he began collecting any dolls that he could find pulling them from garbage bins, street containers, and even bought a few with the very little money that he had. Returning to the island at the end of the day, he began hanging them from tree branches, suspending them over the canal, sitting them in vacant chairs, nailing them to the walls in his house, all in an attempt to occupy and appease the ghost of the little girl that had been terrifying him over and over. As the decades followed, Don Julian collected hundreds and hundreds of dolls to display about his island, never allowing anyone to touch or move them for fear it would displease the spirit appearing to him on his island. To this end, he never disposed of even the oldest and most damaged of the dolls he could find, many naked, missing limbs or heads, some broken or hairless. His work became an obsession and he was frequently seen digging through trash piles in search of his next offering to the confused spirit. Even when destroyed by the passage of time, weather, or wildlife, 
they remained in place exactly where he left them. Soon word began to spread throughout the area of the strange island, and neighbors and tourists began to arrive in boats to visit and see the strange installation for themselves and its even stranger curator. But nothing ever stopped Don Julian from continuing to fish trash and dolls from the canals as they too became dumping grounds for the people of Hochimilco. Don Julian was more than accommodating to these curious spectators, on the one condition that they would also bring dolls for him too, both in memory of the young girl and in honor of all victims of drowning, who he claimed to be seeing all throughout the canals, both ranging from ancient Aztecs to more recent victims. He claimed they were flocking to the island during the nighttime hours, watching him from the shallow water, or hiding, crouching in nearby tree branches. On April 17th, 2001, well into his late 70s or early 80s, Don Julian himself finally passed away. His body was discovered, you guessed it, drowned in the canal, in the exact place he always said he'd seen the little girl and pulled her body to the shore. In some versions, especially those proposed by his family, his death was from natural causes, an apparent heart attack, but in others particularly put forward by those who live in the area and local legends, claim that he was found floating face down, murdered and drowned in the same waters by the spirits about his island. Either way, at last it seemed that the spirits were able to claim Don Julian as one of their own. His nephew took over care of the island until he, too, died mysteriously in 2019, although it is hotly debated whether his death occurred on the island or not. Today, the island remains untouched, exactly how it was left. Nobody currently lives there apart from the over 2,500 dolls who dot its landscape. Each day, the number increases as more and more tourists come to see the island for themselves and to pay respect to the victims of the island and Augustinita, the very first doll that Don Julian fished from the river, which still remains there. The legend states that the name comes from the day the girl washed ashore, the 28th of August, also the date dedicated to the Catholic saint Augustine. It is believed that the tourists who visit her in respect will be granted their deepest wishes and desires. However, to those who choose to deface or steal from the island, it is believed that Augustinita is capable of sentencing you to a grisly fate, dying within 24 hours. Their souls are then said to be pulled back and forced to wander the lonely paths of the Chinapa forever. A recent story of tourists to the area seems to support this latest claim. A group of individuals decided to steal one of the dolls from the island and bring it home as a souvenir. For reasons never explained, for some reason while driving down a road, their car swerved off the street, hurtling every passenger from the vehicle. When the police finally arrived to the grisly scene, they found bodies laying everywhere, some dismembered, cut open, and bloodied. When the police finally peered into the vehicle, to their horror they discovered that the doll was still sitting perfectly in its seat, although without a seatbelt. 
If you probably couldn't tell, I'm obsessed with creating podcasts. As I've grown as a creator, I needed a hosting and distribution platform that's capable of growing alongside me. So that's why I use Buzzsprout. Buzzsprout has already helped over 100,000 people make, distribute, grow, and monetize their show. You'll get a great-looking podcast website, audio players that you can drop into other websites, detailed analytics to see how people are listening, tools to promote your episodes, and so much more. Podcasting shouldn't be hard if you work with the right partners, and that's why I love Buzzsprout. Don't wait. Get your message out into the world today by using my affiliate link in the show notes and get a $20 Amazon gift card. The team at Buzzsprout is passionate about helping people like you succeed and achieve all of your podcasting goals. Join the over 100,000 of us already using Buzzsprout to get our message out and watch your show take off. See you out there, creators. Now that we've covered the story in detail, let's more casually explore different facts and things that we know about the Chinapa and the island and its history. And just some interesting things that I think are worth noting, potential discrepancies in the story, because of course, as we've mentioned, legend and fact get blended together so often in stories like this, as well as cultural and societal norms that can change and tweak and turn and twist these stories. But the story is so well known and so uniformly spoken about when sharing the story of Don Julian Santana Barrera and the Island of the Dolls that I do feel that there is something extremely intriguing going on here. And I do think that a lot of what is spoken about in the legend is likely true. A couple interesting facts that I found during my research between listening to things like uh, Let's Get Haunted, which I love. They have an incredible episode on Island of the Dolls uh, where they discuss it in detail, as well as in revisiting different paranormal investigation shows like Expedition X, Destination Truth, Ghost Adventures, and others that have all been to the island. There's some really unique and interesting things to bring into this before we close out our episode today. So let's dive in. One of the first things that's worth noting is that if you are to go visit the Island of the Dolls, there are now five fake islands all surrounding where the Island of the Dolls is located. And the reason that I say fake is because people have, and I don't blame them for this whatsoever, discovered the popularity of the island and how fascinated people are by what happened what caused Don Julian Barrera to collect these dolls, what he might have been experiencing, and what we've seen on television shows uh, that others have wanted to capitalize on this infatuation. So there are five fake islands surrounding Island of the Dolls that have taken up the same practice of hanging dolls all over the Chinapa to attract tourists and, and perhaps some might say trick them into thinking that that is the real island of the dolls. But please note that that is not the one. And if they're charging you a fee to get off the boat and investigate and explore the island, it's it's likely not the one you're looking for. Island of the Dolls is now completely uninhabited. And while that might sound like it means that it's really easy to go there in the sense that nobody's there and there's no ticketing or anything like that, 
it's actually a little bit more difficult than you might think. Many of the uh, the Drahinera, which are the famous, famous canal boats of Hochimilko, um, won't go to the island because there's such a spoken about fear of the energy of the island. Some think it's a very negative energy and won't go there at all. Others think, think that perhaps it's just charmed or carries some sort of strange magic, which definitely aligns with the cultural uh, beliefs. And to that end, a lot of the boats will require you to pay a form of hazard tip or elevated rate in order to convince them to actually take you there. So I was, I just thought that was really interesting and speaks to the validity and belief of the people surrounding. Um, there's only a certain dock in Ho Chi Milko that will actually have the boats that will take you. And legend says that it's required or, or suggested that you pick a drahinera, uh, one of these flat bottom canal boats that means something to you. Either, uh, and when I say me, pick, pick, I mean by name. So find either one that has the same name or a name that references something that you celebrate or where you come from or where you're going to, or it just, it means something to you in your experience. And that's said to help protect you throughout the journey. It's almost an hour and a half to two hours on canal boat to reach the island. So it's a significant expanse of canals that spread out like veins through Southern Mexico City. And I think I just want to retouch upon the fact that these canals in and of themselves are quite fascinating because they date back to the Aztec times. It really is a moment of Aztec history that still exists today and is quite a technological feat when you think about what they had to do in the first place. Before uh, Tenochtitlan or early Mexico City was established, it was a bog. And some describe it more like a big lake. But needless to say, it was wet and very difficult to build on. So for them to have created a system to control that water is pretty astounding, really. Also, I think it's very interesting that during the time of the conquistadors that were led by Cortes, Many people fled to Hochimilco and hid along the canals, especially women and children. A lot of women at this time would have rather killed themselves than risk being caught and attacked and um, sexually violated by the Spanish invaders. And these islands also served as a refuge for Mexican revolutionaries and others that were seeking to escape the persecution. Many were killed on the islands surrounding the canals and their bodies were tossed into the canal as a way to dispose of them, especially around 1911 when uh, Mexican revolutionaries rampaged through Mexico city, leaving extreme devastation and death in their wake with such a dark history. And with a known, with a known fact, frankly, that countless bodies were disposed of in the canals. And as time has gone on, they've either come to the surface or as different sections of the canal have been cleaned uh, by engineers, etc. And and just by the local folks, they have come back to us and come back to the surface. So it's not surprising that these dark, murky waters, which are so filled with blood and death and the souls of oppressed and violated people would be restless and 
looking for answers, if not looking for revenge. So I just think that that's extremely interesting. Also, in a lot of the different paranormal investigation shows, they sit down with different psychic mediums to talk about the canals as well as Island of the Dolls. And there is a long-established story of some form of massive serpent creature, some form of dark, large entity that resides within the water and has been seen on several occasions. Many Mexican psychics and, and shamans believe that this entity will sometimes appear to people in the form of a mermaid, half serpent, half human form. And so there's a long-standing tradition belief around that as well, which really just adds so much weight and fear to this canal system. Plus, on one of the islands nearby, a local Mexican theater troupe puts on a production of the story of La Llorona. And while I won't get into that in too much depth today, because I feel like eventually that deserves its own full episode to really explore the legend, it is intriguing that this legend also encapsulates the story of children drowning. And I'm not suggesting necessarily that this might explain the appearance of the girl in the first place to Don Julian, but it is very interesting when it comes to thinking about what we know about the canal system and the fact that La Llorona is so tied to it intrinsically and culturally. So yeah, I, I just think there's so much there to discuss. And while we're speaking about this dark creature, I found an article that uh, describes in more detail the experience of Don Julian's uh, nephew, Anastasio, who was present, according to this writer, at the time of his father's, or of his uncle's death, rather. And it's also sad to know this, knowing that he passed away now, but he was present in most of the paranormal investigation shows that I found. He was the one caretaking the island and leading them around. And according to my research, at least, it's very hard to find real documentation that can prove all of these things that I'm reading about. But according to the research that I did, it sounds like Mrs. Frizzle, <laughs> it does sound like he's no longer with us and his death was very strange. However, I digress. In 2001... Don Julian's nephew Anastasio came to visit him on the island, and the two are said to have gone fishing together off the side of the Chinapa. While they were out on the water, his uncle Don Julian began to sing. And when asked why he was singing, Don Julian said it was to keep the spirits of the mermaids away, as they were trying to beckon him into the water. So Don Julian already believed that there was some sort of creature in the water that was trying to lure him into the water. And many of the Mexican psychics say that this creature will wrap itself around the legs and feet of unsuspecting people who wander into the canals and pull them to their death. Was this perhaps what happened to the girl on Don Julian's island? We don't know. Needless to say, this was an interesting element going on in his experience of the Chinapa to begin with. The canals of Hochimilco, as we said, are supposedly haunted by the souls of soldiers from either Aztec times, the conquistadors, the Mexican Revolution. And so the idea wasn't too extraordinary to Anastasio, so he shrugged it off. 
Upon getting back to the shore, Anastasia went to go check on the pumpkins that he and Don were growing on the island. But when he returned is when he found his uncle face down in the waters near the island. Again, in that same spot that Don Julian said the girl was found 50 years ago. As Anastasio approached his uncle, he says that he saw something large swim away from the body beneath the dark canals of the water. And this has really caused many locals to believe his ramblings about the mermaids, and that many of what he, many of what Don Julian said, that many of the things he said he was experiencing could very likely be truly what was going on. But just very interesting. There's so much to talk about here. It is well known in the area of Xochimilco, that approximately 10 people die each year in the canals and are all considered to be transported in death and their souls are thought to reside on the island of the dolls. But many people drown in these canals, whether paranormal or not. But there are so many intriguing paranormal theories that I think are worthy of consideration as to why this is happening. But in the cases where we know that it's not paranormal, because the canals of Xochimilco were such a dumping ground for so many years, not just of bodies, but also of trash and garbage, which allowed Don Julian to find a lot of dolls that would float up to his island, despite or, or as well as the ones that he found in trash heaps and garbage cans. It's It's believed that this is some of the things that these people will get tangled in and will pull them to their deaths. Some versions of this legend, the overall story of the Island of the Dolls, say that Don Julian actually felt that the dolls that he ca- that he collected and displayed on his island were actually his own children, and that he believed that they were live beings, and he would speak to them and talk to them on a regular basis and have full conversations with each one. It's very clear from watching some of the paranormal investigation shows that he obviously had his favorites. And many of those have very intriguing displays of paranormal activity themselves. But he also believed that these might absolve him from his inability to save the drowned girl that he found, especially the ones being the dolls that he was able to find and pull directly from the canal himself. Now let's talk just a little bit about some of the theories. There's various different ones, but I find it interesting that almost all of them are unable to completely write off all of the paranormal and uh, metaphysical experiences that Don Julian claimed. The first one is that Don Julian himself was just completely delusional and crazy, and that there never was a body of a girl that he found. These may have been manifestations of his delusion or hallucinations that he was experiencing. Now, side note for a second. When Expedition X visited the island, one of the things that they investigated as scientists in order to try and disprove these theories was to try and identify if there were gases leaking through the water from the Earth below, which could cause hallucinations or uh, some form of psychosis or, or kind of a departure from a sane state of existence. However, Upon sending samples of the water to laboratories, they were unable to prove that. There was gas in the water, but not nearly to the level that would need for this to be completely a result of natural occurrences. In an attempt to control Don Julian's illusions, this theory goes on to say he began the collection of the dolls as a way to distract himself or perhaps find a way to control what he was experiencing and seeing. 
Now, it is true that there is absolutely no record of the girl that has died on official record. There's no record of her existence or of the drowning. However, it's also really important to state that in the 1950s, very few records of any kind existed. So that doesn't necessarily debunk this one, in my opinion. A second theory suggests that the child never existed, same as theory one, but that Don Julian was not delusional. This theory suggests that the canals were so haunted from everything that we've been discussing for the last few minutes that it was all spirits from the very beginning, whether it be spirits tied to the legend of La Llorona, the deceased members of the Aztec culture, members of the Mexican population that went into the canal to avoid the conquistadors or or any other uh, of this long history of death that surrounds the canal. This is a great time to also mention that the canal is directly downstream from one of the largest pyramids from the Aztec times that still stands just outside of Mexico City. And it was believed that on the top of this pyramid, every 52 years, the Aztecs would perform what they called their fire ritual, in which they would remove the still beating heart of their victim or their sacrifice in order to keep the sun rising and setting in the sky. Now, not only was this the, the, this wasn't the only ritual, to be clear, that involved human sacrifice in Aztec culture. And there are miles and miles and miles of tunnels beneath this pyramid that are believed to be so steeped in these sacrifices and in this bloodshed that it, with the water flowing downstream from the pyramid, is believed to also have charged this water with a very intense psychological and paranormal imprint. So, but returning to theory number two, uh, just to kind of validate uh, this theory a little bit, some suggest that perhaps the canals are just so haunted from all of this goings on that it was just the spirits from the very beginning. That would explain the lack of records, because there never was the death of a girl, but that's not to say that he didn't see either a replay of a a previous passing, almost like a residual haunting, or perhaps a full-on intelligent apparition of this girl, but it would explain why there was no records. And some say that it's so haunted because of the amount of deaths along the canal, but others think that there is a connection, like I said, between the the story and La Llorona, who perhaps resides here in these canals. Or perhaps that this girl who appeared was a child from the time uh, when it was the capital of the Aztec Empire. However, the seemingly modern clothing that she's wearing when she appears to him does contradict this theory a little bit. So, again, this theory doesn't seem to fully explain everything either. The third theory is that the child did exist, and that perhaps Don Julian was simply so wrought with the guilt because perhaps he killed her, either through inaction or perhaps through some more direct means, whether planned or purposeful or not, that perhaps his guilt created everything that followed. It is strange when you think back on the story that he would be so upset over the death of somebody that he didn't know or wasn't directly involved in, after all, in this story, he didn't push her into the he didn't push her into the canal. So, why would he be so distraught at her passing? It's very strange. Also, why would she be so directly haunting him if he, as a well-adjusted, guilt-free person, was not 
responsible for her passing. But also perhaps he felt extra guilty after abandoning his own child in his life and felt like maybe this gave him the opportunity to amend himself slightly or make amends for his inaction. A fourth theory that's also kind of yet another variation on this is that the child did exist and Don Julian was not responsible for her death, but perhaps as a residual energy that he was able to witness, he misinterpreted this imprint from the past uh, and interpreted his own guilt and fear onto it, when in reality, perhaps it was never capable of harming him in the first place. And the fifth theory that's put forward by one of the hosts of Let's Get Haunted that I really find fascinating is that... Perhaps Don Julian was called to this island from the very beginning. Perhaps the island chose him. Perhaps this piece of land in this area is haunted and called him to it in order to either witness this death or perhaps to uh, take care of it or perhaps bear witness to their energy and their spirits from the past. It's very intriguing to think about. And I'm very curious to hear what your thoughts are on this story and what you think the theories might be behind what's causing it. Do you think that Don Julian was simply crazy? Do you think this girl really existed and passed away and everything in the legend is true? Do you think perhaps her original passing was just an apparition that he experienced? Which, to be fair, if this is the case, the apparition must have been extremely strong to appear in such full form. It takes a great amount of energy in the spirit world, at least from our understanding of it, for a spirit to be able to appear so clearly and so strongly. What do you think? Watching some of the paranormal investigations that have taken place on Island of the Dolls, some truly horrific things have happened to these investigators. Particularly, to be fair, it's even more charged when it's surrounded by hundreds upon hundreds, if not multiple thousands of dolls. Dolls are, dolls go back centuries to the indigenous peoples of the Americas, the indigenous peoples of other cultures, even ancient Egypt, ancient Rome. So many cultures throughout history have had and used effigies and believed them to be capable of and be purposed for containing and holding spirits, whether human or non-human, like elemental. So it is a significantly charged location to be surrounded by so many of our modern effigies. And with so many things like Annabelle, Robert the Doll, and... um Peggy and, and others throughout history, especially modern history, that are historically and socially accepted as some of the haunted, most haunted dolls in the world. It doesn't help the situation, is what I'm getting at. But while many people have been there, they've experienced very strange things. I've seen videos of dolls opening their eyes in response to paranormal investigators. I've seen on Expedition X, dolls begin moving and spinning on their own. In Ghost Adventures, a doll starts to create its own heat signature on thermal camera for no reasonable explanation. It's just sitting on the ground, and all of a sudden, on camera, in time-lapse, you watch as the heat signature grows and expands further and further outside of the doll's form. Very strange. 
There's a doll in one of the buildings that is believed to be without batteries and no motion detector or anything like that. But on multiple different investigations, it has been heard saying mama. And when I say say, I don't mean like an EVP or a ghost voice. I mean, there is like an electronic device within the ball, within the doll that begins to speak, which is very strange. I've heard and seen countless screams, disembodied voices, shrieks, and uh, a lot of uh, unexplained shadows moving in the background. It's just a very, very strange space. Very charged, very powerful. Some seasoned paranormal investigators have walked into some of the homes, particularly the one that Don Julian lived in himself. I believe there's three buildings on the island today. And instantly broken down into tears and been extremely and violently emotional over what they're experiencing, covered in goosebumps and, and needing to leave the room. Zach Bagans also needed to leave the building to get himself some air. But to be fair, Zach has an extreme fear of dolls. So we could chalk that up to that. But others I have seen be extremely affected by the powerful energy surrounding these buildings and these dolls and run from the building in terror. There's also a lot of wild cats on the island, and there'll be many times where they'll, out of nowhere, suddenly start to yowl and scream and fight each other, almost as though the energy of the island has charged them, or perhaps they're in defense of the dolls. Because it's very well spoken about that if you don't treat the island with respect, don't treat the dolls with respect, they are very capable of causing you extreme harm. And the final anecdote or story that I'll leave you with today before I hand this over to you to consider about what you believe and what you think and to do your own research around the Island of the Dolls and to watch the other paranormal shows that have visited it and investigated it. I want to leave you with a story that comes from a Ghost Adventures interview with one of the boat captains of the Drajinera. He recounts going through the canals deep into the jungle and suddenly hearing from what seems like nowhere and yet everywhere the earth-shattering feeling and sound of ancient drumming. And he recounts this experience of the drums causing him to feel extreme anxiety and shortness of breath to the point where he expressed that he felt, and this is a very young, healthy man from what I can see on camera, but the feeling that he was on the verge of having a heart attack. And when this experience ended, he says that for five days, he was unable to speak and unable to respond to anybody communicating with him. He was completely shut down into some form of dark void, unresponsive. And after five days of this, he was sent to visit a shaman in an attempt to exercise what they deemed to be a possession from the canals. The boy recounts that in the experience with the shaman during the exorcism, so to speak, the shaman seemed to be terrified by something. And in that terror, he proceeded to eat something. 
And he said that he watched as whatever was attached to him move itself to the shaman. And immediately following, the shaman experienced the same symptoms. The shaman experienced a possession. At the end of this exorcism, he was completely freed from whatever was affecting him and causing this. And I know that many out there may consider perhaps this might be some form of medical explanation, but do you know anything that sounds like this? Because I sure don't. It is very clear that the people of Xochimilco and Mexico City and the area surrounding the canals and the Chinapas experience something on a regular basis. Almost everyone speaks about it, and countless people, if you scour YouTube or watch videos, have stories of their experience visiting the island or visiting the canals. Something is happening here. The question is what? Thank you again, as always, Paranormal Adventurers, for joining me today on When Walls Can Talk, the podcast. I can't wait to continue bringing you incredible stories just like this one through the rest of the season. And as always, the best is still to come. Please visit my website, www.whenwallscantalktarot.com or on Instagram at whenwallscantalk with underscores for spaces to keep up to date on all of our future releases. For now, so long. And I'll catch you next week. <laughs> <laughs>